Hey, we're going to be in Joel chapter 3. You're going to wrap up Joel tonight. Before we do, just by way of a quick update on uh, Jared for the foreseeable future, people are often asking how they can pray. Uh, we need, there's two things that are necessary until those two things happen. Nothing else can really be done. The intracranial pressure needs to come down. So he's holding pretty steady uh, around 15, which is, uh, which is all right. It's not super high, but it's too high still. Uh, normal is about two. So what we'd like that to slowly come down until it normalizes. That'll allow them to do some of the work that they need to do on other parts of his body. And the other thing you can pray for is some cognitive response. So <clears throat> his, he can move. Uh, his body responds to pain. They take him out of his sedated state every so often during the day to check him. And he's moving arms and legs because of pain. But no response in terms of, Jared, squeeze my finger. Or, Jared, uh, lift up your thumb. Or, you know know which shows cognitive response so those are the two big areas that need prayer that's probably not going to change for uh, quite a while should God do another miracle just so everybody's totally clear it's a miracle he's alive at all so uh, nobody could have been through what he went through and and just be fine so we want to make sure we keep those two things in prayer until you hear anything different those two things are how we have to focus our prayers. The intracranial pressure comes down, cognitive response. Yes, ma'am. It may not be. We still may be weeks out from that. So it's the, 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 most, immediate, the most immediate time issue was the first 72 hours. He passed that. So... We, we could be, this is going to be a long process. He, he's not coming home soon. So there's a lot of work to be done. But those are the two primary issues. So if it comes down slowly, little by little, day by day over the next month, that would be great. So the good news is when, they, when it drops, he, it will maintain. They don't have to continuously give him medicine to keep it down. So, so there's good news in all of it so anyways just so we can focus our our prayer efforts that would be great and uh and then you know whatever whatever updates will come further on those are the two primary thing everything else is secondary so so that's the that's the way we want to focus our prayer we can lift them up right now and then we'll jump into joel 3. father god we thank you for this time we can be gathered here lord and uh our hearts and minds uh are upon uh, Jared. We pray that you would uh, uh, just do your perfect work in his life. Lord, we know it's a miracle he's here. We know it's a miracle he has lived this long. We, we believe that you are going to continue the work of healing. So we ask that you would bring down the pressure in his head and we pray for cognitive response. We pray for Carrie to continue to stand in your strength and glory and mercy as she has, and that she would continue to have the support of friends and family around her 
And Lord, we lift up the kids that they would have everything they need as uh, they're in this tumultuous time. So we lay it all before you, God. We pray that you would work on our brother's behalf. And we give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joel chapter 3. We are on the last two poems. So we can remember the book of Joel is about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the... Let me... Let me uh, let me try like this. The, there's, the day of the Lord is the day of God's judgment. There are little days of the Lord, which may not seem little to you if you're in them, but they're God's judgment on a particular nation for a particular time, but it's not the, the end of, of, yeah, the earth. <laughs> a new heaven and a new earth, right? So, And then there's a big day of the Lord that we're looking uh, toward, the promise of ultimate judgment. And the last three poems of Joel give us a pattern. Remember, one of the things we've been talking about is that Joel shows us a pattern is prophecy. And what he's talking about was first one was that there was going to be a day when the Holy Spirit would empower people to walk and live and, and know God like never before. Has that day come? All right, we know that particular prophecy is quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost, right? This is what was written by the prophet Joel. That's what Peter said. What you see is what was written. Now, there will be a, a, a greater, that may be to greater and lesser degrees, depending on, on God's purpose, but ultimately, the Holy Spirit's been given. We look at the last two. The, the second one's going to be the judgment of the nations, and the third one is new heaven and new earth. That should all sound familiar, right? Because if you pay attention to any other part of the Bible, including the New Testament, you have God speaking about the same things. You've been through Revelation. You've seen the same thing there. <clears throat> In the Gospels, you see the same thing there. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight as we work our way through. So the final two poems, poem one of the last two, is God's final victory over the nations, called the judgment of the nations. Verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people, my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and divided my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. This is talking about the judgment of the nations. You want to read about it? We're going to look at it in a moment. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about this very thing. The valley of Jehoshaphat, right outside the Kidron Valley as you come down from the Mount of Olives before you ascend the Temple Mount, that valley is called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It just means God judges. The judgment of the nations that where they will be gathered before the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 8 says this, Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I will rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather the nations, assemble kingdoms, pour out upon them my indignation, my wrath, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. You've read this. If you've read the book of Revelation from chapter 6 through 19, 
we see the outpouring of, of God's wrath in judgment upon the nations. Zephaniah said there would be a day when God would pour out his wrath upon the nations. <clears throat> There's three specific things listed as for the reason. There's, there's three, three issues that he has with the nations of the world. One is his brethren. The second is his land. And the third is his children. For these three things, God says, I am going to judge the nations. In history, we, this is something we... Uh, can see us live through time and time again. There will be some incredible event that will happen and, and there will be a large number that are, of people who are wounded or, or even killed in this event and we will, that will be the only thing we talk about for a while but then eventually we don't think about it anymore. Right? Unless you have a history class and they say, how many people died in World War I? But most of us don't know that anymore. World War II, don't know. Vietnam, don't know. God does. He hasn't forgot a one. Not one insignificant life among them all. And there will be a day of judgment for those things. For those things and many others. And so <clears throat> the Lord lists out these ideas. I'm, I'm going to judge you because of what you did for my people. Look what he says. On behalf of my people and my heritage Israel. Now that should immediately make you think of something. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, When you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren... You have done it unto me. What have you done with my people? Throughout the history of Israel, there's been any number of atrocities done against them, right? And the Lord says there will be a reckoning. There will be a day of, of reckoning for what has been done. There will be a day of reckoning for the land. In Leviticus 25, 23, it says this, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. That means forever. For the land is mine. Who does the land belong to? I don't care what title you have or what title they have. Israel is God's. The Bible says how much is God's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. That's everything in it. It's all his. Not yours. It's not mine. It's not my stuff. It's God's stuff. I'm a steward of God's stuff. And so when we look at this in Leviticus 25, 23, the Lord is declaring, the land is mine. Listen to what he says. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. So he's the one in control of the land. And you are renting. <laughs> He's the, he is the landowner. Now why does that matter? Lamentations tells us, Lamentations 5.2, <clears throat> Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers and our homes to foreigners. When the nation was sent into exile, and one of my arguments about the exile of Israel is it has not 
ended. There's a sense in which it has, and there's a sense in which it hasn't. <laughs> um, the Babylonian exile happens. People come back into the land, whatever number it is that comes back, but they're never a king of Israel. There's never autonomy in Israel. There's, you have the Herods as kings, but they're not Jewish. They don't have control over their own land. And there are more of them living in New York City than there are in Israel. So I have a hard time with the Israel has returned home. Because there's a lot that have not returned home. The Lord is saying, this is my land. And you don't have the authority to cut it up. God gave inheritance, property inheritance, to the 12 tribes of Israel. Specifically, specific, measure, specific measurements have been measured out, and that was to be eternal. So, God says, there will be judgment. That's not your land to take away or give to another. And his children. His children. Amos 2.6 says, thus says the Lord... For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke their punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They were trading in human flesh. And we, re we read about it here in Joel, right? You have cast lots for my people. You traded a boy for a prostitute. They had so little value, it was just for a, for a, 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 a few moments with a prostitute or a glass of wine which they just drink. It's, it's devaluing God's people on such an incredible degree. Now here's what Jesus said in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, 31, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. From there, before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and you came to me and the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. So there is a response toward uh, those whom the Lord regards as his brethren. Some would say that's specifically talking about the nation of Israel. Maybe others will say he's, he's also referring to the persecution that's going to take place in regard to the church. There's a lot of ways we can divide that up, but one thing is for certain. There are people that are less fortunate and taken advantage of, and the Lord says, when you were there for them, you were there for me. When you did it unto the least of these, my brothers. 
Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you accursed, into eternal fire. How long is eternal fire? Oh, funny how that is. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Who's it made for? Devil and his angels. If a person ends up there and he's not a devil and an angel, it's because that's where he chose to be. He's, he has, life is full of choices. I tell Hannah all the time. Life is full of choices. Make good ones. For the choices you make. And so they will enter into eternal fire. Why? Because I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You didn't welcome me. I was naked. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not visit me. And they will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick <coughs> or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will say, truly, I say to you, you did not do it to the least of these. You did not do it to me. So that in the judgment of the nations, you have very similar language to what Joel is talking about. How did you treat the people? How did you treat the land? How did you treat the children? And this will be part of the king's judgment. Jesus talked about it. Joel talked about it. Zephaniah talked about it. Amos talked about it. The book of Revelation talks about it. How many times we got to talk about it before it becomes a thing? There will be a day when man will stand before his maker. And there will be a reckoning there. Revelation says, the books will be opened. Which one matters? Yeah, just so you know, all the other books have bad stuff in them about you. The book of remembrance, the book of thoughts. Anybody going to make a pass on that one? Never had a wicked thought? Yeah, only Eric. Everybody else is in trouble. But there is the Lamb's Book of Life, right? And if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then all the other spots in all the other books are blotted out. In Christ, you are a just man made perfect. In Christ, you are a just woman made perfect. That is what Christ has given us in salvation. And in judgment, there's two things we want to remember. There are books and there are bottles. The books are books that will lay out for us the things that have been done and have been said. The bottle is where God keeps all the suffering of man. The psalmist declares that he catches your tears. So there is not... There is no such thing as insignificant suffering to God. And there will be a reckoning. Man will give reckoning for the suffering he caused or allowed. So it's vitally important because we'll all be guilty if that happens. I promise you there are tears in a bottle that I have caused. And if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm a, I'm a guilty man before God Most High. So it is that relationship with Jesus Christ that predicates our ability to stand 
before God Almighty. So what's the recompense? Look at it in verse 4. What are you to me? He's going to name out some nations. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon? All the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? Well, if you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. You hear people say, ah, you know, if there is a God, he's not just, he's not holy, he's not good. And the Lord says, well, are you paying me back? The Lord says it will return. Here's God's charge against the nations. You have taken my silver and my gold. You have carried my treasures into your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place where you have sold them. I will return your payment upon your own head. There will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning for those who sold into slavery, God's people. And there will be a day of judgment before the nations for the wicked that they have brought. I will sell your sons and your daughters to the hands of the people of Judah. And they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Now, when we look at it, what is it that God is saying? I'm going to keep it simple for you so you don't say... Well, what's the Sabaeans? And how's, how is Judah going to sell people to the Sabaeans? When God brings his judgment against the nations for their wickedness, it will be eye for an eye, tooth. Justice is perfect, righteous, and right. So what they are guilty of their judgment will bear that guilt. Now, a lot of times when we think about God's judgment, we, we think of it in abstract terms. We think of it as eternity in, in hellfire. And for some people, it's like, whatever could justify eternity in hellfire? And, and uh, mostly that's because we're, we're not considering God's judgment. So when God brings his judgment, it's going to be perfect, true, and right. Even in our world today, we have men in prison who are serving four, five, six life sentences. How can you do that? How many lives do you have? Well, what are we saying in our own judgment? In our own judgments, we're, we're saying if, if you could live an extra life, we'd want you in jail for that one too. And the one after that. And the one after that. So there are things in which we look at and we say in our judgment, oh my gosh, that, that is... It's incredible. If you could understand wickedness, unrighteousness, and sin, the blood that has been shed on the earth from the nations of the world over all of history, what number are you going to come up with? You owe me a year? <laughs> I don't think that's what you'd come up with. I don't think that's what you would say. And so God's judgment poured out upon them will be righteous and true and he's decreeing here through the poem in joel the judgment is going to fit the crime you understand so how does he use that language you sold my people for slavery you'll be sold for slavery okay now whether or not that's uh, uh literal or metaphoric is irrelevant the point is the the judgment is going to fit the crime God's judgment is going to fit the crime. 
The guilty will be punished properly by the righteous king. For just and true are your judgments, O Lord. Isn't that what he says? So we look. Next we see the call to battle. Verse 9. So proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plow shares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Oh, we've heard that before somewhere, haven't we? Only it goes the other way. Beat your spears into pruning hooks and your swords into plow shares. The, the idea is you will study war no more. There will be a day when the king returns, there will be no more war. But here his call to the nations is prepare for war. You made war. You walked in wickedness. And all the while you thought there would be no payday. Payday has come. The day of reckoning. You will stand before the king. So bring all your mighty men. <clears throat> bring them all. He says even let the weak say I am a warrior. Hasten and come all you surrounding gather yourselves there and then he looks toward the Lord and he says and Lord you bring down your warriors now how's that going to work out when Jesus <clears throat> talks about the parable of the wheat and the tares you guys remember the parable of the wheat and the tares you remember what the what they were told to do don't pull out the tares wait till what wait till the end and at the end he says, I will send out my angels, and they will reap the harvest. And they will gather the tares into piles, and they will be burned, and they will gather the wheat, and it will go to the barn. Judgment of the nations. The righteous enter into the presence of God, the wicked into eternal fire. This is the same thing <clears throat> that is being described here. So, he says, bring down the angels. Now, when we read stories about angels, how many do you think God needs? <laughs> I don't think he needs any. So, but if I was to say, if I was to match up, you know, man for man, and you have all the armies of the world on one side, I know there's at least one story of one angel killing 186,000 by himself. So... What happens if, like the old song, he calls 10,000 angels? Well, the Bible says you can't even count them. What if he calls 100,000 angels? What if there's millions? So you have all the nations lined up with all their mighty warriors and all their weapons. And on the other side, you need to picture this. You don't, you have all the angels, the army, the, the, the Yahweh Sabaoth, God of the, of the hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies. So you have this enormous angelic host, but Jesus is not even standing up. So how much of a threat is it? He doesn't even stand up. He didn't get out of his chair. When I wrestle with my grandkids, I don't have to get up. I can stand a lazy boy the entire time. I can throw him all the way across the room. 
probably not even work up a sweat. I don't have to get up. They're not all that mighty. They think they're mighty, and I may even let them believe they're mighty. But I know the truth. Here the Lord is not going to move. The angel armies are gathered around, call the warriors from the heavens, hasten uh, and come all the nations. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and there I will judge them. The Bible talks about this day over and over and over again. The day of the Lord's judgment. When he walks through the valley uh, of Jezreel. And he has a vesture dipped in blood. And people ask him, where have you been? And he says, I have been trampling the, the uh, grapes of the wrath of God alone. There will be a reckoning for the nations. That is what this prophetic um, poem is all about. And I want you to listen to this and think about Matthew 13. Think about when we talked about the wheat and the tares. Look at verse 13 of chapter 3 in Joel. Put in the sickle. The harvest is ripe. Oh, wait a minute. Isn't that exactly the same words Jesus used? You think that's an accident? Put in the sickle, the harvest is ripe. Wait, what about these words? Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, their evil is great. If you were to consider the evil of this world from the dawn of history to today, what is the level of guilt? Every day this doesn't happen is a day of the grace of God. Isn't it? I deserve judgment for the wickedness that I have done. But what saves me is God's grace. The Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us. Why? Desiring that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. Repentance. But there will be a day. And that judgment will come before the Lord. And the angels will put the sickles in. And they'll gather, divide the nations between wheat and tares, sheep and goats, saints and ain'ts. There will be that judgment. And it says, verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. That is, just so you know, so I can be as clear as possible, that is a Hebrew idiom. It is a figure of speech. does not require the sun to not be lit or the moon to become blood like we used to think it was cheese or whatever. It is a statement that is talking about the decreation of the world, the end of time, the end of the age, the judgment of the nations, uh, new heaven, new earth. That's what that's talking about. When it's used, it's always used about the day when God's judgment is finally come. And I like to say it's like this. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to go, oh, my gosh, I, I stayed home yesterday. I didn't know that the Lord returned. No. If you, it doesn't matter if you stayed home or went to work. You'll know if the sun turned off. Right? Right? 
all the stars fell out of the sky. Anybody not going to know that? You know all of that language is the end of the world, right? If the sun turns off, how long do you think you live? <coughs> yeah. So not long. <laughs> Maybe not long enough to know it turned off. If all the stars come crashing into the earth, how long do you think you're going to live? Not long, right? So this is decreation language speaking of God's ultimate judgment. <clears throat> and then we have the final part of this poem in verse 16. This is all poem number two, the first one we're looking at tonight. The Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth quake. Same language we see in Revelation, right? This is not new language. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. Here's what you need to understand about the day of the Lord. Number one, it is done in his strength. He is the one who brings victory. You and I do nothing. I was thinking about that song, Defender, which <clears throat> there's uh, there, part of that song talks about the idea that um, it's the Lord who fights our battles. The, the song we've been doing about the uh, Lord of hosts, what's that about? That whole song, Psalm 46, is dealing with the destruction of those, by one angel, the armies of, of Shennacherib. <clears throat> and that's what that psalm is talking about. We, we went to bed, woke up the next day, and the battle was over. We didn't do anything. So the first thing we need to understand about the day of the Lord, he is the strength of victory. Second thing, he is security for the people. The Lord is our refuge. He's our safe place. The Bible says he's our hiding place. He's our strong tower. And number, number three, he is our shelter. He's our security. He's our strength. He's our shelter. That's the day of the Lord. The division between the wicked and the righteous. The division between the nations, the division between sheep and goats, the division between wheat and tares, it's all discussing the same thing, God's final judgment. So poem number one, the spirit will be given to empower men to be what they need to be to follow the Lord God Almighty. Poem number two, there will be a day when God will judge the living and the dead. Poem number three, there will be a day where all that's wrong will be made right. The recreation. Verse 17, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem shall be holy, and there will never be a stranger who passes through again. Now, what does he mean? He means there's no, there's no stranger, there's no foreigner. Every, the issues with Jerusalem was foreigner, foreign invasions. Somebody's going to come take what's ours. The whole point is not that there's not going to be anybody else. The whole point is there's not going to be anybody else that you don't know. You're not going to go, oh my gosh, somebody's skulking around in my backyard. Who is it? It's going to be somebody you know. 
And they're not skulking. They're probably working in your garden for you. Wouldn't that be something? We don't have to be afraid of somebody breaking in or coming in. There's no more strangers that will pass through. And in that day, listen, the mountains will drip with sweet wine. And the hills, they will flow with milk. And all the stream beds of Judah will flow with water. And a fountain will come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. As we look at it, here's what's going on. The same vision Ezekiel had of the throne of God. Remember what was coming out of the throne of God? Living water. And the living water kept, it, it gathered into a river. And it kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper. You remember? And on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. And you have this incredible picture of living water flowing from here in Joel, the house of God. Well, what, what is God's throne? The Bible tells us that the, the whole point of the Ark of the Covenant was to be the throne of God. The place where God would meet with his people. And in the heavenly picture that we see in Ezekiel and we see in Revelation, similar language <clears throat> in Revelation as well, we have this river of living water flowing out of the throne of God, the healing of the water, the, or the healing of the leaves of the tree of life, healing the nations, the water giving uh, 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 water of life. It's all pictures of uh, everything being redeemed and all of it flows from the throne of God. Who sits on the throne? Revelation 4 and 5. Who sits on the throne? I looked and I saw the lamb as though it had been slain. He is the one sitting on the throne. The father said to the son, sit here at my throne until I make your enemies your footstool. And so the end of the judgment of the nations, this water is flowing out and bringing life. It is, it is the rebirth of Eden. <coughs> new heaven, new earth language. It is, it is the, the recreation, if you will. It says, Egypt will be a desolation, Edom a desolate wilderness, <coughs> because of the violence done to the people of Judah. Why? Because they shed innocent blood in the land. If this is the level of judgment, if, if part of the levy of judgment that God brings upon the nation is innocent blood, who you think is not guilty? I mean, every 4th of July we set off rockets, but has our nation as a nation ever just caused massive death to the innocent? There's only been one atomic blast set off by any nation. Oh, I know. In school, we say it stopped the war. Did we drop that on an army? Oh, you mean we just dropped it on a neighborhood full of moms, dads, children, babies? You don't think that's innocent blood? You don't think God would consider it innocent blood? When only the, just the United States by itself is guilty of at least 60 million 
in the abortion holocaust? You don't think that's innocent blood? Do you think God doesn't hold the people of a nation responsible for the nation? What about the people of a nation that's free? Who have the freedom to do something about it? Look, there is no way for us to come out of this without guilt. How is our guilt washed away? By the blood of Jesus Christ, not because we're good people. One day, if we have to sit down in a room before a holy God and he tells us the truth about the things our nation did with our support, you don't think we'll be guilty in that day? Lord, have mercy. So there will be that reckoning for innocent blood in the land. That's what the Lord's saying. There's not going to be any more Egypt. He says, Egypt's not here no more. So you don't have to worry about being a slave in Egypt because it's gone. Because the river of living water washed all that stuff away. And everything has become Eden. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. You guys know the story, right? The lion will eat straw like the ox. And they will study war no more. They will study war no more. Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem for every generation. For I will avenge their blood. Listen to this statement. Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. See, in Joel, the Lord is saying, there will be a day when there will be a debt to pay. For all the things I have not judged on earth. All the times innocent blood cried out to God. You know the story of Cain and Abel. That was only one life. You remember God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother? Cain says, Who, what? Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says, well, I don't know, but his blood has been crying out to me all day. When you read about the martyrs in Revelation chapter 6, what are the martyrs doing? Crying out all day. What are they crying? How long, O oh Lord, till you will judge those who have taken their lives. Here the Lord says, there'll be a day when I will avenge the blood I have not avenged. For the Lord dwells in Zion. So that will be the seat where the nations will gather and they will face the judgment of the king. And they will be separated from the sheep and the goats. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. No more strangers walking around because we will all be one family. That will be the redemption that God accomplishes at that last judgment. So when we look at Joel, he's just giving us the pattern of prophecy. Nothing specific. He's not talking about a king. He's not talking about a time period. He's not talking about a when. He is talking about a little bit about a how and a why so that we would understand. And the scripture would teach us why it is God waits. I'm thankful he waited for me. I'm thankful he waited for you. And if we have another day tomorrow, I'm thankful for the ones who will enter into the family then. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Father God, we just come before you this evening, Lord, and we thank you for this time that we have. We can gather before you, God. We can uh, seek your face in your word that we could come to know and understand who you are, what you've done, the glories that you have delivered, God, through your mighty power. Lord, we thank you that we have time that we find ourselves today, even with time to consider that now is the time, today is the day. Your word declares it. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the day we can call upon the name of the Lord. According to the book of Joel, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul quotes that same section as we look in, uh, into the, to the scriptures in Romans uh, chapter 10. So God, we recognize that you are a God who is, who is mighty in power, that you are a God working your perfect work. Lord, we're so thankful for the things you have done, for the things you have made, the things you have accomplished God, we're, we're blown away by your ability to guide us, lead us, direct us, carry us through <clears throat> as we uh, put our hope and our trust in you. For God, we want to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So we thank you, Lord, that you are still on the throne, that you are good that you love us, that you care for us, that there will be a day when all the wrongs will be made right. And until that time, we have a job to do. So God, I pray that you would help us accomplish your purpose, Lord, as we live out our lives before you. For you have a plan for it all, and it's good Nobody gets away, but before you come, what a glorious time of forgiveness and grace has been extended. So, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might know the heart of wisdom and that we would not waste any time bringing you glory through the gospel Jesus Christ, your only Son. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.